We have been on this subject of as your soul prospers. And so if you would uh, turn to our foundational scripture, which is uh, the book of 3 John uh, 2, if you would turn there. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. And Usher will be more than happy to bless you with one. Once you receive your Bible, would you please turn along with the rest of us to the book of 3 John. And we're going to go to the second uh, verse. Once you're there, would you please say amen? It says, Beloved, I wish above all things. In other words, above everything that I desire for your life, that you would prosper, that you would be in good health, even as your soul prospers. And I think one of the things that becomes a challenge for many of us is the difference between what we live and where we are versus what we know God's intentions concerning us to be. Uh, In other words, do I believe that God wants me to be healed and whole? Yeah, I believe that. Do I believe that God wants me to prosper? Yeah, I believe that too. But the problem that I struggle with is I'm not there. There is such a divide or a bridge or a distance between what my life really looks like and what I believe God desires for me. And the, the struggle, if you will, the stress, uh, the problem, the challenge comes in when I begin to equate what it is that I want in my life, what it is I believe God wants in my life, but yet and still, why does my life look the way that it looks? And so <clears throat> to discern the idea that God says above all else, in other words, everything else, that I wish for you. My first thing that I desire is that you be in health, that you prosper, even as your soul prospers. And so we have begun to understand that oftentimes perspective is the measure by which we respond. In other words, uh, we can find ourselves in a place where we see something, and how we gauge what we see is how we respond to it. You may see something happen off in the distance, and based on your perception, you will assume that certain things have occurred or not occurred. You may see a look between two people, and you can come up with all kinds of things as to what has occurred between those two people based on your assessment or your gift of suspicion. And so many people take the gift of suspicion as if they are discerning something in the spirit. And now all of a sudden, so-and-so's with so-and-so, and and we have gotten off into gossip. How do we get off into gossip? What is gossip? Gossip is having a conversation with somebody that is not in a position to make a change. In other words, when we talk about something, if you can't affect the outcome and I can't affect the outcome, then why are we talking about it? That moves us into gossip, and the Bible says that God hates a gossiper. But the challenge is that we love ourselves so much that we have to be right. Because in order for us to say that we are wrong requires us to submit ourselves unto the reality that we might not know everything. <laughs> Thereby, self-deification enters in. And we, because we are in this society of narcissistic people that have come to a place where they believe that they are right and God is wrong. No one cares what God's opinion of a matter is. No one cares what God says about the issue because I feel differently. 
if God was here today, he would do this differently. Because what we then begin to argue is perspective. Not what God said. His perspective on the matter. We believe that if we have given him a different perspective or we show him our side of it, if we beg and plead our position, that somehow God would change his mind because he would see it from our... We begin to... (laughs) This is going to be an interesting (laughs) night. I think I preach better on the stage. (laughs) I I think that when we begin to gauge what is true... Uh, we struggle with how we see things in order to determine what truth really is. And just because you saw it doesn't make it true. If, if the Bible says that the things of this world are temporal, in other words, they are temporary, and it begins to tell us not to focus on temporary things, but to look at that which is eternal... Because that which eternal is not made with natural hands. That which is eternal is made by the hands of God. And what God calls to be will never change because it is not temporal, it is eternal. Now we have a God who is the God of this world who has the ability to temporarily modify and to display whatever it is you need in order to make decisions. Which now tells me that as I live my life, I can make decisions out of the temporary or I can make decisions out of the eternal they both can exist at the very same time and they both can present themselves to me one will present themselves through my natural eyes for we walk by faith and not by sight therefore I don't move by what I see I'm moved by what I know and what I know can be discerned from a spiritual standpoint or it can be discerned from a natural standpoint Simply, I can see it with my natural eyes or I can see it with my spiritual eyes. They are never the same thing. And so if you follow, if you're used to following your natural eye, you will be moved with temporal things. The problem that Satan has that God does not have is Satan cannot create anything that's eternal. Which means that everything that Satan creates is merely a hologram. That only has the staying power that you give it. It only has the staying power that you give it. So as long as you believe you are sick. How long does it last? How long does poverty last? How long does stinking thinking last? How long does sickness in my body last? As long as you... because if you are not aware of what is eternal versus what is temporal, you will confuse the two because we are taught and we learn over our life to see and to go by what we see. I would hope that if you are standing at a corner and you're about to step out into a street and you see a truck coming at you at 60 miles an hour, you would not step out hoping that something eternal would happen in the natural. Right? Because you will be temporarily pasted to the front of that truck. And you will pass from the temporal now into the eternal. So 
it is not to undermine the idea that we have natural understanding. It's not to undermine the concept that we need natural understanding. It is for you to begin to discern when natural understanding is necessary and when it is not. It is for you to discern when spiritual things are at work and not to be distracted by that which is natural and what you see. Because if you learn to connect yourself to spiritual things, you'll be moving without knowing. Oftentimes people say things to me and I will have a completely different reaction to it because I heard something different. And they're like, where did you get that? I'm like, I have no idea, but I just know that. It's because you train your spirit to begin to tap into the things that are beyond your understanding. If you, in fact, biblically, the Bible says you have the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. If you believe in Jesus and have confessed with your mouth and you believe, you are now saved. If you are saved, then the Holy Spirit resides on the inside of you. And if he resides on the inside of you, that gives you what is called the great advantage. That's what separates you from the person who's just on the street who does not believe. That's what separates you from a person who rejects Christ and you are a follower of Christ. That's what separates the two of you is the fact that resident on the inside of you is God who dwells in a temple that was not made with natural hands. He dwells on the inside of you. You become the house, a lively stone built up to follow God and to love God. You are constructed to be a temple unto him, to be a container of his glory. And if he is on the inside of you by the person of the Holy Ghost, the Christ in you, the hope of glory, then you have got to understand that you have answers that you know not of. How be it he speaketh a mystery. What is a mystery? A mystery is something you don't know. He is on the inside of you. He knows while you may not know. And there is a connection between him and you where he begins to lead you and guide you and direct your path to tell you I wouldn't go this way don't do that that's not the right thing to do that one that's not a good one because he's always on the inside speaking to you leading you and guiding you and he's not going to do it outwardly when he is inwardly that would be like me leaving we're in a house together watching tv and i go outside knock on the door get you to come to the door and say hey can i talk to you now He's already on the inside. And he wants to talk to you. But if you are constantly looking out the window, hoping something out there will happen, well, God, if you want me to take this job, have him call me and give it to me. No, no. Lord, if you want me to take this job, tell me. Just say it. I'll know. There'll be a peace. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go to 2 Corinthians real quick. 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. He says, for our light affliction, 
which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, it doesn't make a lot of sense to tell me not to look with my eyes. And you know how people are. You see a nice car driving by. Ooh, I like that. I got to get me one of them one day. You don't know if that car breaks down every 10 miles. You don't know if that car is a lemon. All you know is, wow, that looks nice. If you're not careful, you don't even know what year it is. Might be older than you. But you move by your eyesight. You see him. You see her. Oh, he's cute. He might be an axe murderer. Oh, she's, she's hot. She's fine. She might be crazier than a loon. <laughs> you laugh, but this is so true. That people are so, they're so uh, metered by their eyesight. And in your eyesight is good to a certain degree because you need it in order to see. But he says, we look not. Go back to verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. In other words, he said, the attack that I'm under, this is a light affliction. He said, this light affliction is but for a moment. And it worketh in me something that is far greater than what I see. So if I get stuck on what I see, then what I see becomes my only reward. In other words, I'm under attack. Life ain't going so well. (laughs) There's some problems here. I'm struggling with a couple of things. He said, but it's a light affliction. He said, because what I see that I'm going through is working something in me that is exceeding and eternal. So I have to learn how in the midst of a situation to begin to disconnect my natural eyes and begin to look what this thing is working in me. Because so many people think, well, is God putting me through this? Uh, God's allowing you to go through it. And if you don't get it, you'll be doomed to repeat it. You want to know why you keep ending up with the same type of girl? Because when you was going through the first affliction, you didn't realize he was working something that was far more exceeding and eternal And it was to his glory to teach you something that would cause you to never go back down this road again. 
But because you looked at the natural aspect of it and you just said, well, she, she's crazy and that's why this happened. And now the next one comes along and she plays in the same type of vein that the first one did. You fall for the very same reasons because here's what you do as a man. You rent 10, 10 up and you got to save her. So she plays into the very same weakness that the first one did. And the second one did. And the third one did. Ladies. <laughs> why is he... I, why do I keep choosing the wrong kind of guy? Because you don't appreciate a nice guy. <clears throat> you have begun to think that if he's nice... That there's something wrong with him. And so men have learned as they grow up, you know, in, in school, they learn that girls like boys that are mean to them. They don't speak to the ones that come and share their bubble gum with them. They want to chase the ones that punch them in the arm and run. Y'all don't want to talk to me. I don't know why. Y'all look at me with that tone of voice. And so you want the bad boy. And then you complain that he won't change from a bad boy to a good boy. And so what God allows you to do, some of you, you have had to go through some of the people you were with to learn how to appreciate the one that's about to come. Because you needed to be crapped on in order to learn how to appreciate. The hope is that you're not so old. That whatever you needed him for or her for, you won't even be able to do anymore. And so what he's saying here, Paul's saying, my light affliction. How many of you know his afflictions weren't light? He was beaten within an inch of his life. He was shipwrecked. He was bit by a poisonous snake. Uh, a snake. He was literally, literally attacked. And they tried to kill him at every chance. And he's saying... These are light afflictions. According to uh, some historians, we kind of talked about this before, but when he was locked in prison in the dungeon, in the lower parts of the dungeon, some theologians believe that he was up to his waist in feces. Now, I don't know about you. Ain't nothing light about that. <laughs> it's one thing to put me in jail. It's another thing to shackle me to a wall. It's a whole nother thing to have me walk around waist deep in feces. And it's a really another thing for me to say this is a light affliction. 
And for me to begin to realize that my incarceration was working something far more eternal. It was building in me the ability to have some faith so that when you come against me with your words, what does that matter when I've been waist deep? I have learned how to progress into the place of faith that now when you attack my life, you don't say anything that bothers me. I could care less as long as you don't put your your hands on me. I'm not moved by your commentary. I'm not moved by your criticisms because you can say whatever you want. Just don't step here. See, now all of a sudden, because watch this, a lot of people have problems with people talking about it and they'll go to pieces. I have been called everything under the sun. It shows me that I'm doing something right. And there used to be that time (laughs) where I would be like, why can't they just stop talking about me? Now, I have learned through the experiences of having people attack me that haters are the breakfast of champions. If nobody's hating on you, you ain't doing anything. You need to reevaluate what you're doing. If no one hates you, There's a proverb that says, be careful walking down the middle of the road because you'll get hit by traffic going both ways. You got to pick sides. And when you pick a side, trust me when I tell you, it's going to be difficult. And that's why he said, for our light affliction, which is but for, because even whatever it may be that I have to go through, It's for a moment. The question is going to be, is it going to outlast me? Or am I going to outlast it? But it is for a moment. And it works in me far more than what you thought it did. Because when people talked about me, it made me feel better. Why? Because now I get to grow. Now I get to withstand and learn that people's mouths do not matter to me. When I had to go through a situation with my finances, I began to learn that money cometh. Didn't call myself. God called me. And if God be for me, who can stand against me? So therefore, I have a supply. And if he really does supply all of my need, according to his riches, then it's the presence of the need that qualifies me for the presence of a supply. I got to get you to see this. And so now it worketh in me way more than what the circumstance demands. It's not about what's in my bank account. It's about what I'm able to accomplish with what's in my see we become so short sighted that we don't look at what is the long term goal and so often we don't learn from the mistakes that we've made in the past and if you don't learn from your mistakes you will be doomed to repeat them and so (laughs) verse 18 
says, while we look not. In other words, we're not looking at the things which I can see. He said, because whatever I see, it's temporal. What does temporal mean? Temporary. He said, whatever I see, it's temporary. But the things I don't see, those are the eternal things. And so what Paul's exhorting them to do is to learn in your situations to stop looking at that which you can see and begin to see what you cannot see. Now, how in the world am I going to see something I can't see? Thanks for asking. Let's go one more place, and then I'll answer that question for you. Let's go to Matt. Matthew 6, please. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. And the 22nd verse. <clears throat> Hallelujah. It says... The light of the body is what? If therefore thy eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Verse 23. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? If you understand the singularity of light, in other words, there is no ability to change what light is. It's light. Darkness is dependent upon the absence of light, not the other way around. So I cannot pull darkness out of a room and make it light. But I can pull light out of the room and make it dark. And so if the whole body is controlled by the eye, he said if the eye be single, then the body is full of light. In other words, if the eyes are able to discern what it sees with only one answer, then it's full of light. But if the eye is evil, he said, then what is good, the eye will perceive as bad, which means that there is no possibility of light, which means the whole body is dark. Because even that which should be seen as light will be perceived. <clears throat> Somebody comes up to you and they say, uh, hey, you need some help? This happens a lot when you're doing outreach stuff. You walk up to somebody and you say, you know, uh, years ago when I was leading outreach for my church, we went and did an a, a outreach in a laundromat where we went and paid for people's laundry. You know how many people looked at us sideways and said, what do you, you want to do what? You want to, hold on, you want to do what? Nah, I'm good. What do you, what do you mean you're good? I, I don't know what y'all doing. We're just trying to be a blessing to you. What's the catch? 
when cynicism enters into a place of your perceptions, it changes that which was good. So now when God says, I want you to abstain and find the right person, enter into covenant, get married, then have sex, have babies, and do it a certain way, we see that as, oh, God don't want us to have fun. Because that which was good has been skewed by the world and society into that which is now evil. And he said, how great is that type of darkness that now what is the goodness of God you now view it as a problem and as a negative and think that what I have designed to bless you, you think I designed it to hurt you. And if that type of darkness enters into your world of perception, how great does that have to be for something that is dependent on something else to overshadow it and make it dark? In other words... This room will not get dark unless we cut off the lights. I don't care if you think you got a bag of darkness in your pocket. There's nothing you can do short of clipping these lights that will make it dark in here. Because darkness is dependent on the absence of light. But he said, if your eye be evil, if your perspective be wrong, then you will hear what is good. And it will take light and make darkness in light. Which means now, everybody else is walking around seeing perfectly clearly. But you will be one of the ones walking in darkness when it's perfectly light. Tripping over stuff you shouldn't be tripping over. Tripping over people you shouldn't be tripping over. And you're wondering, why is it that I'm the one living like this, going through this, struggling with this, tripping over this? Because you are sleepwalking. You're walking in the light in darkness. Trying to figure out why you can't see what is happening in front of you. Because darkness has pervaded your mind. And it took what God said was good good and made it into something that was so now you're walking around just like everybody else but you tripping over stuff people are like didn't you see that no I didn't that's why I can't seem to get my finances under control I'm not tithing I'm tripping over tithing it's clear It's broad daylight. Everybody knows it but you. Well, Pastor, I'm I'm working on it. I'm just not there yet. And you have taken something that God gave to bless you. And so the place where you struggle is in the reasonings of your mind. You're telling me I have to give? To receive? That doesn't make any sense. What I should do is hoard and hold on to. Because that's what the world says. And what you're asking me to do, what you're telling me is, 
I need to believe that I'm healed, but I don't feel that way. The symptoms are still there. I still feel sick. I feel it. I can see the problems. And God says, yeah, I get that. But the moment you start to look beyond, you'll move out of the temporary and into the eternal. But how great does darkness have to be where it actually allows you to not see? I, wanna, I, I want an honest poll in here. here here's the question I want to know. Is there anybody in this room that does not believe that the Bible says that one should tithe? or anybody that does not believe the Bible says that. I just want you to be honest. I'm not going to pick on you. I just want to know. Is there anybody in here who believes that the Bible doesn't say it? Then the question becomes, what is it that darkens your understanding? That you know something that you don't do. But yet and still, if you don't know what fornication is, it's having sex with somebody you ain't married to. So <clears throat> then the question becomes, what is it that darkened your understanding that allows you to do it anyway? Not picking on you. We just talking. So then... There has to be a place that you have allowed your understanding to become darkened in order to function. And he said, how great does darkness have to be for it to overcome light? How great does that darkness have to be? that the light of God's word cannot shine in a particular area of your life because you've given more value to what you think, to what you feel. It is quiet up in this full gospel church. How could darkness... How could the things that are not of God cause you to change what is God? There's the basic understanding is this. Everything that God says should give light to your whole mind, will, and emotions. It should drive and direct your understanding your passions, your affections, your tempers, your thoughts, your words, your actions. And if the very principle that drives all these things becomes darkened, how great is that darkness? Because now it is not what I see that begins to change. Oh my gosh. 
Satan can work in ways in our lives where he can change things and he can make it seem what it's not. And this is now the puppetry of Satan. And so a lot of times you hear somebody say, I want to see behind the veil. Seeing behind the veil means that you want God to pull back the veil and allow you to see what's happening in the background. And if you were able to see what's happening in the background, oftentimes you will find that that guy you thought was so cute is being puppeted by Satan himself. You would see that this girl you thought was just fine is being puppeted by Satan himself. You would actually see the strings and you would see everything that she does is being orchestrated by Satan. And it would concern you and you would have reality of understanding because you would be able to perceive what's really going on. Now you would steer clear of it because you don't want to bring that attack into your life. But because you don't have the ability naturally to pierce behind the veil, you are now succumbing to things that happen in a temporal area and Satan is now orchestrating those things that's wonderful because now i have to have satan's attention in order for him to orchestrate however if satan is capable of not orchestrating anymore but changing my way of perceiving he doesn't even have to do it i'll do it To myself. Because I've allowed my perceptions. Now, this is an easy, watch this, this is an easy way to deal with you. Years ago, when I was in uh, the optical business, I used to make uh, glasses when I was in high school, actually. And um, they had done an experiment where they had strapped goggles onto chickens. And the goggles, the lenses made everything turn upside down. So everything they saw was flipped upside down. When they first put them on, they was running into each other and everything. But over a period of time, they got used to it. And now they can see perfectly fine, even though everything's upside down. Then all of a sudden, when they took the goggles off, They had the same problem. It's one thing for Satan to come into your life and turn it upside down. It's another for you to allow him to strap some goggles on you that cause you to perceive that your life has been turned. When in fact... That's why he said, how dangerous is that type of darkness? Because now it is not Satan himself orchestrating in your life. He can now move on to somebody else's life because he's affected you in such a way that now you begin to think all men are dogs. So even when a good one shows up, he's a dog too. I need to quit her before she quit me. I need to take from him before he tries to take from. I need to hurt them before they try to. I'm now affected not the what you see. I'm now affected how you see it. And then you wonder why. Guys come into your life and then they leave. 
You wonder why you can't find somebody who wants to be with you. You wonder why things don't seem to work out like you would want them to. You wonder why you can't seem to get the promotions and the raises on the job like everybody else. Because when I tell you the one who works hard, Well, you got to understand, I got a social life too. So when five o'clock rolls around, I'm out. The one who gets along with the boss. Well, I'm just not a brown noser. I'm not going to do all that. I got my own opinions and I'm my own man. Okay. But this is why you're getting passed up. Instead of being on your phone, you're supposed to be working. You just think, well, that person, they're just a kiss up. That person, they're just, they're a yes man. And they're yesing all the way to the bank. It's your perceptions. It's your perceptions of how things are. Every company I've ever had to work for, I started at the bottom and worked my way up to the top. And when I mean top, I don't mean manager. I mean CEO, CFO, COO, C-level employee. You know why? Because I worked harder than everybody else. I wasn't the smartest, so I knew I had to work the hardest. And if I can go even further and say one other thing, which is absolutely a truth, it's a, it's a nature of what this world is, but as a black man, I had to work extra hard. Because I had to overcome stereotypes. I had to overcome predilections and predispositions. I had to overcome some of these things. So I had to be smarter. So guess what that meant? I stayed late. Everybody else left, I didn't. I'm the one that went and bought the books and invested in trying to figure things out that nobody else could figure out. Because I learned a long time ago, the problems you solve will, will literally dictate your paycheck. Y'all don't want to talk to me today. So the, so the challenge is, that if I don't think it's important for me to be the best at it, if I don't think it's important for me to be the first one in and the last one out, <clears throat> but I'm trying to figure out why I can't get a raise. I'm trying to figure out why I'm not getting promoted. I'm trying to figure out why the first person to get laid off is me. If your eyes be darkened, you won't even understand what's happening around you. Because you'll be looking at the things that are temporal. Happy hour starts at 6.30. I didn't care about no happy hour. Happy hour couldn't pay my bills. I cared about being the best. See, <clears throat> when your understanding becomes darkened, you begin to see things through skewed lenses. This is why God said, Let's leave the sex out of this until y'all married. Because I need you to see it correctly. So that if he is an axe murderer, you'll find out before he axe murders you. <clears throat> but if you involve yourself sexually, you'll develop a soul tie. Now he is an axe murderer, and as he's swinging the axe towards you, you will not see. Until it's too late. Because now you've become emotionally vested and connected. And now you like axe murderers. 
You just don't give him a chance. You don't know them the way I know him. Are you getting it? This is why Paul said you got to be careful what affects the way you see things. You got to guard how you see things. The Bible says only a fool answers the matter before they hear it. I learned a long time ago, if you're going to counsel a couple, you never counsel just one of them, unless the other one won't come. And you know what you don't do? You don't take that one's word for what happened. Because only a fool answers the matter before they actually heard it. I've, I've seen people come and say things to somebody, and all of a sudden they're mad with the person. They, they didn't even talk to them. They don't even know what happened. They just heard one person's side. Well, this person, my friend. So what? There's still two sides. There's really three. We could be honest. It's his side. It's her side. And then there's. And what I've learned is you never answer anything. You never respond to anything until you have fully heard it. You know what that does? Causes you from letting your darkness change your viewpoint. It causes you to not change what you see and allow darkness to mold your thinking. Because here's what happens. Watch this. People get offended. Anybody who's been in this church more than six months will tell attest to what I'm about to say. And I preauthorize anyone who is on our senior staff team who's been here for years. If I am saying anything that is wrong, please stand up and correct me if I said something wrong. Here's what happens. People get offended. Once they get offended, there's something I've said that they don't like, which came from the Word of God, by the way, but they don't like and they get offended. What then begins to happen is the milk starts to sour. Now, because they're offended and darkness has now entered into their perceptions, everything I say Now they're offended about everything. Nothing we can do is right. We got the wrong toilet paper in the bathrooms. We got the wrong lighting in the building. It is everything that they can come up with in order to justify darkness because they allowed it to come in and frame through offense what they see. Am I wrong? Anybody? Seniors? It happens all the time. Because what begins to occur is they did not guard themselves against their perceptions. That's why he said, my affliction is but for a moment. So when I sit through a message that is nailing my hide to the wall, I have to know this affliction is just for a moment. And it should be working in me something far greater than my offense because if I stop at offense, that's all I get out of it. But if I allow it to move beyond my offense into the realm of understanding that I have got to make a change. I have got to adjust myself to the Word of God. If light is coming at me, then I've got to receive light, take it in as light, and begin to adjust my life with light so that I can continue on the path that I need to go. And so then here's what happens. Finally, they've had enough. They're so uncomfortable now. Everything bothers them. They leave. And then their life 
falls apart. And if they are capable to recover themselves, they'll come back with their life in pieces. And I'll look at them and go, told you so. No, I look at them and I say, I love you. (laughs) And we welcome back and we help and we gird them up and we build them up and we get them back where they need to be. And then they get offended again because they never fixed They never dealt with the darkness that pervaded their perceptions. I'm preaching way better than y'all. Amen. That's why I said, how great is that darkness? In other words, We can deal with the kind of darkness that comes when we step into a situation and there's darkness. We've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So he said, as far as darkness in the world, we can stand up to darkness in the world. I can shoulder up against something that is demonic and proclaim Jesus and tell it it must go. I have no problem with dealing with the demonic things of this world and standing against it. I have no problem being a light for God. have no problem not letting my light be put under a bushel but how great is darkness when it actually comes in you and begins to change what you believe it begins to change what you say it begins to change what you're able to see with the eyes of your understanding how dark does that have to be that now you are not light to darkness but darkness is in you He said, how great does that have to be? Isn't that crazy? Let's go to uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I got about 15 minutes. Ephesians chapter 1. Hallelujah. Verse 18. I believe it's verse 18. You ready? The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches, what the riches, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is exceeding greatness of his power toward usward, who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places far above principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also that which is to come. And have put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. That the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened that you may know. That the eyes of your understanding, not your natural eyes. But that the eyes of your understanding. Paul said when I was a child, he said I thought like a child. In other words, I did things like a child would do. So when a kid is, is in the kitchen 
they don't know that noise travels. So when the refrigerator opens and mama yells from the living room, close that refrigerator. They begin to develop the concept and the idea that she can see through walls. Which, as you very well know, as mistaken as that might be, that's good for us, for them to think that way. Because the next time, they'll think twice about it. But see, that's thinking like a child. As you grow up, you begin to realize that the reason why she heard you is because sound travels. So now I've got to figure out a way how to open this refrigerator. And what you deem as he's developing or she's developing more slickness, they're just getting smarter. Which, again, we hope that our children get smarter. Nobody says, I want you to stay dumb all your life. So when he said, I thought like a child, I I just want to eat candy. As the adult, we think, if you just eat candy, your dentist bills are going to be ridiculous. And if you don't go to the dentist, you will be gumming your food pretty soon. Right? So we as adults have a viewpoint that kids don't have because they think like kids. They have a child's perception of what is occurring. So then that means that it's not so much education because you've told them before, sugar, too much sugar will make your teeth rot. They know that, but yet they still want because their perception is like a child. It isn't until the first dentist bill comes that they have to pay for That all of a sudden, understanding comes. Because up until that moment, it was information. Oh, my God. And so because it was only information, I have no real revelation of information. Because information must be revealed for it to move from the world of information into revelation, which brings transformation. And the the bridge between those things, it's got to be revealed to me. So until I got to pay the bill, it don't matter to me anymore. So you walk around leaving every light on in the house because you don't care. Once you are paying for the light bill, you start walking around. Because now it has moved beyond information and it became revelation. And what caused it to be revealed was the pain that you had to feel. For my light afflictions. He said they work far more in me. Because everything you went through, you had to. You sit back and say, man, I wish I had an easier life. No, you don't. All of that light affliction was working. All of the struggle was working. All of the problems was working. See, so many people come to our church, and here's what they say. You don't know what I was going through when I got here. I do. You want to know why I know? Because that was the affliction 
that God was working in you to get your Komoseyama here in the first place. And he had to make it so uncomfortable for you. Eagles, uh, when they create a nest, they will uh, build outside with twigs and then they will find cushiony, soft things, cigarette butts, uh, cotton material, anything they can find that's soft, and they'll build the inside of it with the soft stuff. Then they lay their eggs inside, and when those eggs hatch, they have those baby eaglets. And so they, you know, go and eat, and then they come back, and they feed their little babies, and they're in there, and it's all nice and comfortable, and it's soft, and it's cushy, and this is great. (laughs) Then the eagle begins to realize it's time for the baby to fly. I can't get you to fly if you love being in the nest. So what they then do is the twigs serve dual purpose because what they'll do is they'll pull the twigs out and then stick them in to where now the twigs are poking inside. So as the eagle baby is in there, when they move a certain way, ow, ow, this is, ow, this ain't comfortable anymore. I don't like this anymore. My life is just not what I thought it was going to be anymore. What used to be comfortable for me is just not comfortable anymore. I, I don't know what, I, I, don't, I can't talk to people who don't understand what I'm talking about. Because maybe your life has always just been comfortable. But I'm talking about when you get to the place where it just starts, you're like, oh, God, really? Is this what this is all about? I didn't sign up for this. I don't even like this. This don't feel good to me. What is all this about? And then with the, once they get to that place where they're so annoyed and agitated with being in that doggone nest, they're like, I have got to do something different. And then there have been literally recorded where they will push the baby out the nest. Just... It's even been recorded that they will watch them and soar down and catch them on their wing and take them back up again and drop them again. Because when he was falling the first time, God wasn't quite sure he was going to make the right decision. So he picked you back up and said, let me drop them again. Because they're going to fly. Because I'm not going to let you crash. I'm not going to let you crash. And now the light affliction, the very thing that you had to go through. He said, it's working in me something far more than what it looked like on the outside. See, you had to break up with me. Because it worked in me, the ability to see what was coming down the road. You had to leave me. Because you had to make room for the right one that was coming. You had to walk out my life. 
because I needed to work in me an understanding of where I'm about to go. I had to get fired from that job because I would have never been in position to receive the next one. You had to. While you are crying and complaining about the temporal things of what you lost, I had to repo that car because I got another one coming. And you got too comfortable in this one. You had to go through it. Because it was working in you. He had to break your heart. That way when I sent the right one, you'd appreciate. She had to do you wrong. So that when the right one came, you'd be like, I'm going to cherish this one. I'm going to regard this one. This one's a keeper. You had to go through some of the things you went through. Some of the things you had in your life, they was idols. You loved it more than God. You was out on the boat on Sunday instead of in the church house. Now wild horses couldn't keep you from the church house. Now God says, see, I was working in you something. And while we don't like it, it's not comfortable. God said, I have to work this in you. This is why you have anesthesia. Because no surgery. No surgery is without pain. And God said, I'm going to have to anesthetize you with the Holy Ghost for a minute. And I'm going to reach in and deal with something. But when I reach in, you got to know I'm doing this for the right reason. You got to know that you can't be changed by your perception. You got to allow this to work in you. Something that exceeds what you see. Yeah, it was a tough time this year. Yeah, it was a tough time last year. Yeah, I had to struggle with my child. Yeah, I had to struggle with my spouse. But see, I was working in you. I was trying to bring you to a certain place. And I used the situation so that I could work the eternal by using the temporal. Now what this begins to tell me is that every weapon that Satan forms against me, God uses. That even though Satan thought it was meant for my destruction, God used it to work something in me. So now, whatever Satan has waged against my life, against my family, against my physical body, against my being, whatever it is he has worked against me, God said, I'm going to take the temporal. And if you would move your eyes off the temporal into the eternal, I'll take that which is temporal and I will develop you in what is eternal. Now, the eyes of your understanding 
have now become enlightened. And now you may know what is the hope. Because at that point, you have now recognized His power towards you who are the believer. And now you have the reality of the power according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ which is now far above principality and power and might and dominion, and it is greater than every name that is named. Far above in this world and the world to come. But now I begin to move in your life, and when I show up, I show up in a way that makes you realize that even though this temporal problem exists, my God was working eternally. And when he reveals himself as the eternal God who was able to overcome that which is temporal, I begin to learn that even now when I walk into a situation, I begin to look for the eternal before I even see the temporal because the temporal is but fleeting and it has no power to stay. So I begin to look beyond the situation. And as it comes into my life, which it comes from all different directions, but I don't let it literally take my eyes off of the one who has called me. So when I step out of the boat and Jesus is out there walking, I can't look at the storm. I can't look at the waves. I got to keep my eyes on Jesus. I got to keep my eyes on the prize. I got to keep my eyes on God because he is working that which is eternal out of this temporal situation. And when I step over the temporal situation, God says, I'll reveal myself to you and who I am you will never be forsaken you will never be left because I am always here but if you'll acknowledge me and not acknowledge it I will direct your path and I will keep you safe and I will deliver you from harm because my God is well able and I move beyond what I see because what I see is just here sometimes you got to look at some things and go you know what you're temporal Plain and simple. You're temporal. What does that mean? Nothing, just letting you know. Don't mean nothing to you. Why explain it to you? You ain't going to be around long enough to... Some of the situations, you got to learn how to say it. That's temporal. That right there is but a light affliction. It's momentary. And here's the thing. I'm not going to run from it. I'm going to stay in it. And I'm going to let him do what only God can do. I'm going to let him work surgery that only he can do. I'm going to let him touch me in places that only he can touch me in. I don't care what the doctor's hands are. They, got, they, they could get a, a shake on you and cut you in the wrong spot. But let me tell you something. There is no surgical precision like the surgery that God will perform on your life. He knows exactly which spot to touch. He knows exactly. Did I ever tell you that he took a rib from Adam and made Eve? And when he saw her, he said, whoa, man, that's what I'm talking about, the precision and the accuracy of God. You have no idea what he is able to do. But But if you don't recognize that when he's working, you'll think, well, Martha, this one's going to kill us. We ain't going to make it through this one. I lived all my life 
Now you're going to tell me I'm sick with this disease? I'm not going to make it through this one. You mean to tell me I've been in this relationship all this time and it ain't going to work? I ain't going to make it through this one. All the while, God's in the background going, oh, not only, not only will you make it, but it will be a testimony to my ability to do something in your life that only God can do. See, God is the one who wants to turn things around that you couldn't even figure out. You were stuck between a rock and a hard place. And God stepped in and said, watch me work. Because, see, some of you, the stuff you bring to God is, it's, he's like, you can solve that one. I'm looking for the good stuff. See, because I'm not a general practitioner. You want to go to the doctor and see a general practitioner? Go right on ahead. I'm a surgeon. So when you call me, I get the big bucks. I get the hard cases. And when I step in, you will know that the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has shown up in this situation. The same God who split the Red Sea. Can you imagine standing at the edge of the water thinking, where in the world are we going to go? Mountains this way, mountains that way. And God said, raise up your staff. Raise up your authority. Stand in who you really are. And when he raised up his rod, the water split and they walked over on dry land. I'm talking about the deliverer, the God we serve, the one of miracles. Don't you ever let anybody rob you of your miracle. Because what qualifies you is the problem you're going through right now. That's your ticket of admission. And listen, if you're in here and you don't have any problems, God bless you. God bless you. Remember what we talked about tonight for when you do. (laughs) But if you're going through some things tonight, then I need you to understand all this stuff is but a light affliction. And don't get me wrong, you can get so deep in it that your perspective begins to change. That's when you back up and say no. Mm -mm. You're not going to change the way I see the world. You're not going to change the way I see my brothers and sisters. Because see, then when they get offended and then they disconnect from church, then here's what happens. I can't go back now because I knew better and I left anyway. And then Satan gets in your ear and goes, you know, if you go back there, they going to hurt you because you knew better. You should have done better. How dare you even think you can go back there? Pastor Gene going to punch you in the mouth as soon as he sees you. That's what Satan does. So then they struggle. Can I come back? Should I come back? I don't think I can come back. I I don't don't know what I'm going to do now because now now guilt and shame is set in. And Satan's like, yes. Because I've now altered your perception. And then if you by any chance overcome that, And you come walking in here 
and all the greeters are hugging her, loving her. Oh my God, it's so wonderful to see you. They're like, yes. And you're like, what? What? Wait a minute. They're supposed to be mad at me. I've been telling myself all this time. And it's because you've allowed your perception to be changed. And I'm trying to tell you, some situations you've been through, you've allowed your perception to be changed. I can't believe they fired me. And I'm thinking, thank God they fired you. Couldn't get you out that job for nothing. My last story, and I'm done. I was riding in the car one time. I was My spiritual father, Pastor Ricky, had came to preach, and we were in the old building. And uh, the keyboard player called me over and said, can I talk to you? And so I said, sure. So I walked over, and he said, um, I'm going to have to quit. I got a better deal. And I said, okay. Is this right now, or is there there's some notice, or how's this going? Well, it's going to have to be right now, which you don't quit like that. You give people notice, give them a time to adjust, and, you know. But anyway, he just bailed on me. So I didn't have time to deal with it because I was getting ready to go to Bullhead, and, and my spiritual father's preaching up there. So we all jump in the car, and we're riding up to Bullhead City, which is about four hours from here. <clears throat> so in the car, I'm sitting in the back. He's sitting in the front. And I said, no, I'm sorry, I was in the front. He's in the back. And so I said to him, I said, hey, my keyboard player just quit. Just up and quit on me. And in the back of the car, he goes, thank you, God. <coughs> Perspective. Because I, I was mad. I didn't say nothing to him for another hour. Thinking to myself, did he hear what I said? I said, this fool then came in here, quit. Left me high and dry. And his response was perspective. <clears throat> because later, what I realized was what he was saying was, thank you, God, another one is out the way. Because anybody who is here and can leave because of a bigger deal then they were not here this is why there are people in your life that they want to leave let them because if they could leave you then they wasn't of and they were not for so if they can leave because some of you are trying to hold on to stuff you just can't change to new and God can't bless you because you're just living in old you're stuck on temporal things your perspective is off and once I got it you know what I said thank you God thank you God for moving him out the way because it had been much harder It could have been a bigger problem. He'd been here long enough to make friends. He could have took some friends with him. Perspective now. See how that works? Once you start getting your perspective right, trust me when I tell you, everything starts to change. Some of you really need to understand that the eyes of your understanding have to be enlightened. 
not the eyes of your flesh. You got to stop looking with your eyes in the natural and start discerning spiritually what's going on. Because some of you just really don't see it. You, you're stuck looking backwards. That's why you keep tripping. Some things you just got to let go of and say, you know what? God, you got it. I want what you want. Hallelujah. Well, Father, we thank you. We bless your name, Father, in Jesus' name. We bless you. Father, we thank you for all that you're doing in our midst. Father, I'm reminded of when Elisha was standing on the hill, and he said, open their eyes that they may see that there is more that be with us than be with them. Father, I pray right now that you open their eyes that they may see that there are more angels standing for us than be with the situation that we are facing. And that we know that we are endued with power from on high that you have not left us, you have not forsaken us, but you have gifted and blessed us with all earthly and spiritual blessing that we may truly walk in the power that you have foreordained for us. Father, for every person that's facing some type of situation, some type of trial in their life, Father, I thank you. They have already overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. That they have already overcome. That they've already overcome. That they have already overcome. That they have already overcome. That they have already overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Father, I thank you for all that you're doing in their lives. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.